Hello. Hello, hello. Excited? We're talking about DevOps today. Yeah. Do you know what DevOps means? Sometimes. I, I just asked <laughs> the GPT, so I think I'm prepared. <laughs> hello to our live viewers. Hello to Bias. We have Brian Finster with us. Hello, Camilla. Let's see. Who is hey, Grant. Ivan, hello. Warren made a comment earlier. Özgür, hello. We have a lot of new faces. New faces that I didn't invite. So it seems we are we did start to spread the stream. He meant that in a positive way. So everyone is invited. Yes, 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 yes. yes. I meant that in a positive <laughs> way. So <laughs> the word of mouth is starting to function. Today is all about DevOps. So Adrian, DevOps is your topic primarily. And is I it? like I and think I like it's the, both topic, right? Sort of. Yeah. I mean, I like the philosophy around it because I mean, I, we both of us started our career in a time where DevOps didn't exist. You put DevOps into Google, you got nothing back. You just got some random weird results from Google that nobody cared about set up by yeah. some bot farm. It, it right, is so. the same today sometimes, but yeah. <laughs> no, but there are so many conferences today and books, you know, it's DevOps this, DevOps that, DevOps days, DevOps blah, blah, blah. DevOps is everywhere. And it seems everybody's using it for something else. Like the mm -hmm. word itself, like the word is very, has many different meanings, has many different contexts. Um, so excited to talk about it. So we're talking about DevOps in the context of how you can apply it, how you can understand it and how you can apply, let's say primarily the principles from the Accelerate book. Yeah. Um, so let's start at the beginning. How would you define DevOps? You know, our agenda today is basically small, medium businesses, DevOps. What is it? How should I care? Um, mm -hmm. How should I apply any kind of new information that I learn about DevOps? Because it seems we talk about it a lot. We don't apply it. It's especially true in startups, especially true in small, medium businesses. DevOps seems to be this sort of, sort of this neglected, sort of very, very far right-leaning uh, sysops title or somebody managing a Kubernetes cluster. And I don't think that's a fair way of, I think that's the most, that's the narrowest definition of DevOps that I've seen used. And sadly, quite often. How, sadly, actually, because it's, it doesn't have anything to do with that. So DevOps is not a person and it's yeah. not really a team. It is basically a mentality. It's a culture. It's a way of th seeing things, um, you know, end-to-end -end responsibility those kind of things that you actually own mm -hmm. the process. So you are able to own the process from beginning to end. So which mm -hmm. includes the idea that you basically uh, run your product. So there, yeah. you know, the, the, the phrase you build it, you run it, you run it, um, basically derived from that. And, um, what we just, you know, describe the, the DevOps engineer. We, we heard that really often in the past, we st you still can read that everywhere, especially yeah. when it comes to, um, uh, recruiters, they often ask for yeah, a DevOps position. So what is a DevOps position? What they mean actually is a cloud ops person, a Kubernetes yeah. specialist, an IT SREs, guy, SREs. SREs. So those, those people are actually ops guys. Let's say they are looking for ops people, um, sometimes even platform engineering people, you know, they are not even part of the actual team. Or cloud architects or yeah. somebody who understands the sort of the, the cost, the operational cost of running. Yeah, and this is more a type of action you do inside a team which yeah. tries to uh, fill, uh, you know, follow the and, philosophy of DevOps. The, not... the word DevOps is actually what IT architects used to be. Like what, uh, what IT used to mean, 
20 years ago is actually how many people use the word DevOps today. Um, sure, yeah. If you're with us in chat, let us know. If, I, if, I, if, a, if a random non-technical person in your company asks you, what is DevOps? What would you say? This is to you out there in chat. For those of you who are with us live, I would love to hear how you, how, how would you explain DevOps to somebody within, within your company? If somebody asks you, what is DevOps? Is this DevOps thing, what is it? Are we doing it? What does it look like in our company? Mm -hmm. How would you how would you address that? I was really curious, and we have an answer already. Yeah, two or uh, two already. So Brian Fester is with us today. So, I really like Donovan Brown's definition: the union of people, processes, and products to enable the continuous delivery of value to our end users. Brian, thank you, and thank you for being with us. I, I think you attracted quite a crowd today. So thank you for that. You had a very positive influence. <laughs> you had a very positive influence on the stream already. Um, but let me just real quick. I just want to check how many people we have live. Yeah. Yeah, we have a good number. Um, and, and it's a good definition, actually. So yeah. um, the union is, is, is a very, very important aspect. So end-to-end -end responsibility means you need to unite um, all disciplines necessary and the, all practices ne necessary, all methodologies, all ops methods uh, necessary to actually create a product and run a mm -hmm. product. And this so, is this is the idea, which doesn't mean that um, there, there's another wrong assumption sometimes where you think everyone in a team needs to be a DevOps engineer. Um, that's wrong too. So you, not everyone needs to be able to set up everything, do everything. It is more I like think... you need to have all disciplines in the team. I think this idea of a DevOps engineer is a bit misguided, you know, because it's not, I like that. Uh, yes, Brian, you, <laughs> I think, I think your network saw that you're joining today and it attracted a bit of a larger crowd than usually. Uh, I'm just responding to Brian in chat uh, real quick. Um, I like that you, uh, Adrian, I, I like that you use the word product and, and I, I see it in Brian's comment as well, because, because ironically, we should have called this product engineering ops, not DevOps. I mean, if, if, if I were to describe it to somebody, it is the, it is the, it is the, let's say the degree to which product engineers, product engineering runs their own operations, right? Like that's to me, that is how I would sort of my Eli five for what DevOps is. It's not about keeping the servers up. I mean, to some degree, yes but not in a way where that is a department that is handed off the responsibility to keep the lights on for the servers and do nothing else. It's more this vertical integration, this sort of shift left policy, shift left um, um, this movement to, inst to, to introduce responsibility and ownership over, let's say the systems required to run a product, a product built on software or a product built on embedded systems or hardware or, or whatever it is. Maybe it's a mainframe of some kind. Maybe it's web applications. Maybe it's embedded systems from the book accelerate. You know, the, the research is vast and we can see that the, the, the core idea of, um, the core idea of DevOps as a whole is combining the two pillars of product design and development and delivery. Mm -hmm. Now, the way I understand it, and Camilla also said in, in chat, you know, the responsibility of maintaining uh, CICD going as a team, um, it's, it's, very, it's a very strong definition, and I, and I, and I like the simplicity of it, because um, it's, mm -hmm. this, 
is this idea that, oh, maybe it has to do a lot with delivery, or maybe it has to do a lot with the ops of, you know, the systems that the engineers need to build the system. Um, but I think the easiest way to, to, to describe DevOps to somebody who's non-technical um, would be to, you know, using a, re a restaurant analogy, it is this equivalent of somebody running their own kitchen and making sure that they're taking care of cleaning and they're making care, taking care of logistics. It's essentially how you'd run a Michelin star restaurant. Like you don't leave anything to chance. You, you, mm -hmm. you, you check the chef checks the ingredients, the chef, the chef gets and picks the food and it has it delivered. So everything that is crucial to the operation of the kitchen and to providing an excellent service is left to the kitchen itself to plan mm -hmm. and organize. There isn't this handoff thing where where the business owner might order ingredients in bulk and then the kitchen just cooks, right? So that would be, let's say, a separation, a siloed environment where you have two different departments and they hand off things to each other. And DevOps is the opposite of that. DevOps is, I think, in a purely agile way, it's a team effort, yes. In a purely mm -hmm. agile way, you would say, let's define success for our entire, let's say, vertical for the entire business and let's be responsible for every element of that. That would be, let's say, uh, the you know the, the the point of agility would be to, in that context, would be to create your own process to define. You know, are we going to do this to Michelin star level? Are we doing this to some food truck street level level where we are like super lean? We can go anywhere. We can adapt to the weather. We can be anywhere we want, but we have a standard. And regardless of where we are, we will uphold the standard and we will define the standard and we will improve the standard. Uh, Tobias is a very good response as well. Let's let's read that out loud for our listeners because we are on on where are we, Adrian? We're on Substack podcasts, right? Like you you started uploading them there. Yeah, Substack, Spotify, and uh, Applecast. Yeah. So if you're listening now, uh, please let us know how the audio quality is. If you enjoy listening to it rather than just uh, watching it live. Tobias says DevOps is not about having everybody in the team have all the skills, but having all the skills in the team needed to ideate, build, and run the system. It's a great, mm -hmm. that's a great way of describing it. And then working together in the team and making sure that the combination of diverse skills in the team leads to the best possible solution. I like this definition. Uh, uh, where did I read this? I think in implementing lean software development, uh, it's this idea of having a complete team. So, so rather than having specialists on the team that have certain skills and then you need you know a full stack developer i think this is sort of a very much a catchphrase for i want you to be able to do everything mm -hmm. <laughs> everything that <DevOps related. laughs> um it's this idea that there is a skill let's say landscape that the team needs to be complete right like the team builds software designs software develops software talks to customers deploys software maintains the software runs the software and all of the skills needed to run all of which I just described. If you manage to get all of that into a single team, that would be, let's say, a good, healthy DevOps culture. Uh, the contrast being that there is something that the team does mm -hmm. and something that the team doesn't do that they hand off to somebody. So yeah. I might say the team might be doing software architecture, software engineering, but they don't do testing that they hand off, you know, that would be, a, let's say, a, an, an, an immature and unhealthy 
way of structuring your you know full vertical DevOps DevOps um, processes principles. Um, what would you add here, Adrian? What, what do you see the most in small and medium businesses? What, um, what I see oh, often is just this: is QA, QA sysops, cloud, cloud architecture. Yeah. So what I want to um, dig a little bit into is the idea of uh, DevOps versus platform engineering, mm -hmm. um, because this is um, some some topic which is a little bit made up, in my opinion, just to mm -hmm. have a new reason to sell platforms. <laughs> yes. Um, because they, they say that you know you. So when you read Accelerate, when you read the um, the, the the Dora report, the state of DevOps, um, mm -hmm. then you read about that actually DevOps helps you to mitigate burnout effects or depression effects, negative yeah. effects. Um, and this is what I actually learned as well. So I ex experienced that, my, my, my team's ex experienced that. And uh, when you take a look at LinkedIn, many people say that you have DevOps burnout. So basically DevOps leads to burnout for the developers because they, for example, need to handle to, in order to deploy their, let's say a little Next.js application, they need to fiddle around with AWS and no one has yes. to worry about yes. that. So and this is the reason why they burn out. Yes. Um, so when, so imagine when someone is, you know, providing you a self-service platform as a service solution, mm -hmm. this is not the opposite of DevOps. So this is just, for example, when, when we define DevOps again, DevOps does not mean that you are as a requirement that you really need to say, um, you need to take care of your infrastructure. So you need to take yeah. care of the process. So, for example, in, in mobile app development, you don't have infrastructure, you know. So still you can do a DevOps approach there. And this is the same with web. For example, if someone provides you a platform, you can use it and still practice DevOps. The idea mm -hmm. is still that you are responsible for that. If you have a clear contract with some, some form of platform as a service idea, which you mm -hmm. get from providers, from service providers, no matter what, then you still can practice DevOps because the idea is to have continuous integration, continuous delivery, and a product-orientated, goal-orientated mindset for the team, and still you can practice that. And this is what I just mm -hmm. wanted to say up front, that we you know, disconnect a little bit from the idea of infrastructure somewhere because yes. DevOps and infrastructure is often combined because many teams are thrown into the DevOps idea and suddenly... Uh, are confronted with Kubernetes. So this is basically I, what happens. I, I hate that conflation. Like that is so oversimplified yeah. and it just completely misses the mark. But but I I, I read that every time when, when DevOps is coming up. Yeah. And this is definitely yeah. nothing to do with so, so you can execute DevOps without having Kubernetes somewhere. So it's it's if possible. I enter DevOps into Google, let me let me try that real quick. So incognito DevOps. The first thing I get is DevOps Days Ljubljana, DevOps Engineer, DevOps Meaning, DevOps Azure, DevOps AWS, DevOps Tools, DevOps Roadmap. Exactly. Right, so I am getting all the wrong things <laughs> on DevOps, right? right? So and, it's it's clear that it's not clear to everybody. And, and when we talk so about now, and when we talk a little bit about business now, so we all do that because of we do in business. So we don't we do, do that because. We do our hobbies in DevOps. You know? I thought we were just influencers on LinkedIn uh, talking, talking smack. Before we go into business, yeah. uh, a comment from Brian. I broaden it more. Few products are developed by a single team. That's, that's a very good observation. 
there's an entire value stream that needs to be improved. And if you only look at it from the perspective of a single team, we'll miss the forest. It's a very good, it's a very good point. Because sometimes you would say, oh, I need so many people to make it feature complete, uh, skill complete, that the team becomes so large that I need to that the unit that is skill complete, I then need to split up into teams that are not skill complete individually. Mm -hmm. So that then that there's a large unit that together monotasks on a product, but in the, it's too large. It's more than eight people. It's more than, you know, usually you have this sort of breakdown, this pizza effect at like somewhere around 13, 14 people. Mm -hmm. Like a business that you run under 14 people, you can run easily lean one singular focus. Once you hire the 15th person, departments start is something just magically happens and it's a, some form of critical mass actually yeah it's a critical mass and then teams start forming and then it, it it's it's just there's this no man's land between 15 and 50 people where it's like are we a department are we a team how do we do this times two how do we split this team apart is it still the same team is it now different are we reporting to the same person so it's I just want to say something about the, the comment we just see. Not not business. Yeah. We let's let's postpone that. Um, at Webbar, we have actually one large team working mm -hmm. on several projects or products. How large? How, how large is six developers Good. full, full Good. time? Okay. And um, we are working on several products, and basically all of them are working the same. It is, they are all based on the idea of continuous integration, continuous delivery. Mm -hmm. um, they all have the same platform, the same mechanics, the same methodology, which means that sometimes you don't have, let's say, the, the idea of monotasking is not always given, to be honest, but yep. um, it is like you can quickly switch between things because our business is not one product. Our business is several products. So basically product mm -hmm. uh, software as a service we do for several clients. And that's Brian's same... next comment. That's Brian's yeah. next comment, actually. You know, it's like have each team skill complete if possible and split by product domains, right? So as, you, as you're just describing. Yeah. And sometimes you have specific, yeah, problems, challenges to, to solve, and you assemble some some kind of mini teams. It's like mm -hmm. um, you just say you two do this now together, um, and this can be monotasking. Then again, um, you know, just get it complete by another team. And sometimes larger things coming together, and we are all coming together and swarm a mm -hmm. problem. And uh, the but the idea is that this team is able to do from everything from briefing. Uh, to to the form of let's say QA on production. So there's mm -hmm. everything in between. There's no one else necessary outside of the team to deliver. You know, yeah. and this is very important for us, and that works quite well. Camilla in the audience is part of that team, and mm -hmm. um, this is what she basically described with her comment uh, in in a one-liner. And uh, yes, so I, I can align to that. So it's 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 uh, true. DevOps is not about a single team doing one product. So it's basically one single yes. team working on the entire, let's say, business portfolio, which mm -hmm. is, uh, let's say, let's say in the responsibility of that team. So that can be multiple mm -hmm. products, projects. There might be a natural symbiosis between multiple value streams. I mean, mm -hmm. we, we see this now, for example, Gergely Oros mentioned the very, let's say, high speed, the, 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 the fast cadence of how uh, OpenAI and ChatGPT, the team itself, you know, the applied engineering at that company how rapidly they build. And they, to an outside observer, it looks like they're monotasking and they're deploying a big feature once, you know, every month. Um, and, you know, Gergay sort of investigated a little bit of what that looks like, had an interview with 
head of engineering over there. And um, had some interesting findings, you know, it's, they have a similar structure. There are multiple products, you know, I would say three main products, ChatGPT, the main product to the, to the masses, the premium, pl the, the plus version of it, and then the, the enterprise version of it. So there are different demographics of users who are using it, but it's similar language models, but then they are specialized for use cases, right? So all three teams, all three product teams have the same skills copied and duplicated essentially, but they are catering to completely different target demographics, psychographics, different mm -hmm. scales of enterprises and different, different needs. You know, enterprises might value privacy much more than they do latency, or they might, they might value being able to customize the LLM to their own needs. And that is a good example of them having a complete skill, complete team, multiple of them and focusing them on the, not even on the product, you know, on the product owner, on the business person who's running a project, but on the, the customer demographics, right? So you, you have a very specific niche target audience that you're selling to, and they require a completely different kind of nurture than something else. Because usually you have a more um, traditional um, company, especially startup in a, a small or medium business might be set up is they might have different teams, different departments, specialized based on skill and then in order to get something that is the, a, a feature complete team is never formed they have feature complete processes where they hand off from one team to the from one department to the other communicating that this is a project team but they are never working on the same project at the same time together in the same room and to me mm -hmm. that would be the main dysfunction that i see often in small, medium businesses and startups is that the team is never allowed really to get together and mold and sort of talk about the product, talk about the challenges and they get stuck in the delivery pipeline. Yeah. Right. So it's this, it's using this delivery pipeline as an abstraction for handing off things and doing sort of, you know, bad waterfall, essentially, you know, waterfall without big design up front. Uh, and then they call that fall agile. <laughs> or something <laughs> you know, like we're doing agile we think scrum but our own way you know that's and i see that often in in small we're doing agile that. because we don't plan <laughs> not again <laughs> no 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 not on this not not today Oops. not today i want to have a no estimate next topic stream. yeah, next I, yeah topic. I want to have a next, no estimate stream on purpose and i think we should get brian on here on, on stage at some point we, we, we had some few more responses um subot 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 kumar it's culture where dev and ops team work for a common goal. I think that's a good generalization for it. If you're explaining it to a non-technical person, Adrian, what do you think? Um, so it's actually what we've said in the, in the beginning, a little bit different. Um, it's a culture. So mm -hmm. first of all, you need to see that as a culture and yeah. common goal is very important. So actually this is a very good description, um, mm -hmm. very high level description of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember Jonathan Hall the first time writing that on LinkedIn. Um, it was I, I remember that uh, term, and uh, that was uh, that was yeah. It's just very right. So everyone in the team needs to understand and live it, which is then culture. It. You know, you need um, when when let's say you have let's say let's say five developers in the team, and um, three are living it, and two are you know don't they, they uh -huh. basically do not do that. Uh, so what happens then is you, you will never get into a flow and you basically are not 
able to do something like continuous delivery then because it is only partially working. So let's say when, when three people working, let's say pipeline is green, you have everything inside, you own the entire process. And then yeah. suddenly something went up, it's red and no one knows why, because someone is just tunneling and sitting in his corner and doing his thing and is going home and, uh, you know, give a something about that. And this is then simply not working. So you need to cultivate a culture that everyone feels the urge to follow the common goal, you know, um, and must say, okay, I am done when I'm actually done with the definition of done or fulfilling the definition yeah. of done. And this is a culture, a cultural aspect. And then, you know, later comes the, you know, the specifics about your team in DevOps, but it's the culture is what every DevOps team have in common, I think. Mm -hmm. We have another, we have a, that everyone has, in, I, I like that you use the metaphor of that developer sitting in a corner, sort of working on something in isolation, because generally what I see in small, in, in small businesses, you know, like less than a hundred engineers, mm -hmm. um, uh, and Christian, Christian Torescu, uh, the joint collaboration area between developers and operational and all the automation within small business equals light ops and medium dev or the opposite. DevOps automation will help when it's in place. Um, I, I like this tech because it's, I see this often where if you're not doing DevOps end to end, right? So that, that's our third topic for today. This, this, this idea of end to end responsibility, you, you, you rob the team's ability to celebrate, right? So if I'm not involved in the end to end delivery pipeline, that means that Either I am, what does it mean, by the way? As a developer, I'm in the middle. As a designer, I'm at the beginning, mm -hmm. as a graphical designer, you know, because I'm doing the UX, I'm doing the demo, I'm doing the pitch deck. And then as a, let's say, a sysops, a DevOps engineer, what you would call a person who is dealing with the CI/CD pipeline or just the, the servers or a cloud engineer or a site reliability engineer, they're at the end of one delivery cycle, mm -hmm. right? So. If you're not part of the entire cycle, you might only be doing deployment, but you have no idea what you're deploying. You might only be doing development, but you have no idea what it looks like when it's deployed and you have no idea what it looks like when it's being designed. And if you're only at the beginning as a designer, you might design it, but you have no idea whether it will be in implemented according to the design or if yeah. developers will sort of go their own way and decide that, hey, you've sort of designed way too far in advance and you speculated a lot. Uh, we had to iron out some details and we changed a lot of the original plan. This is it's very bad for the feedback cycle, actually. It's very bad for the feedback cycle mm -hmm. because then you rob such developers from being able to celebrate from getting feedback that, oh, yeah, we, we got it. Or, no, I, we're slightly off the mark. We need to adapt. We need to pivot some idea here. This feature needs to go. This feature needs to pivot. Those two features that where we thought they were two, two completely separate markets, actually, individually, they don't mean anything. But if you put them together, there's a niche market that really wants this, right? And that's usually a pivot that can be really useful if you take the feedback seriously. If you don't have end-to-end -end responsibility across the entire pipeline, which means you're doing handoffs or handbacks, then the engineer just goes to work and goes home at 5 p.m. and they just tick a box. Like, did I do a handoff today? Yes, I handed off this code today. Did you do a handback? It's like somebody reviewed my code and rejected it. I fixed it. It's a very boring way of working, right? So it, it, it robs you of the fulfillment because it's still intense. It can still be a stressful workplace, but then it really robs you of that fulfilling feeling of, yeah, we actually got it right. Like we're, we're successful on the market and the customers are really happy and they're 
prepared to invest even more with us time attention money subscriptions mm -hmm. whatever it is data um they might be sharing a lot more of their user base with us if you're a SaaS company or more data or more intensity or more you know maybe we have an exclusive contract with them it's like yeah we're doing you know i have you know i'm using Streamyard, for example, I'm really happy with Streamyard. Um, and if I, if they ask for feedback, you know, every major button press that I do, they ask for feedback. Hey, it's like, did you have a good session? Like, did you enjoy it? That's really important. You know, that's that's the sort of end-to-end -end idea of the person who's developing, the person who's designing, the person who's deploying. They're asking for feedback, not feedback on some weird survey that the PO does in isolation with some agency, but feedback directly to the customers. It's part of the development cycle. And I see this is where a lot of, let's say, I don't even know how to call them, less mature. I don't think that's a fair fair way of putting it. But but that's a small companies that don't do like full holistic DevOps, where, where there isn't a DevOps culture, a, a rich engineering culture. It's just project management. Yeah, you, you know, I, I've wrote a lot about um, how, to, how to get a mature team. You know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of a, a mature team. So... Let's imagine that you are a software developer and we had that with code reviews already, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. When you just push your changes because in a ticket it says you should do this and that and you push this and that and you go home, you know? You're not caring about what happens after deploy, what happens with this change. Then you are disconnected from that. So you will never ever get to the point where you actually develop a mature way of thinking about that because before you you are not part of the entire development process you are only responsible for let's say the programming part of a specific component for example yes. but you don't um, develop this mature idea of responsibility of ownership of the entire application of the entire outcome of the entire flow which in the end determines if this business unit if this mm -hmm. team if the company is successful so you don't take part, you, you don't take part of the control and faith of your company, actually, which is not good, which is, this is not a sign of maturity. Just wanted to say that. Exactly. So in the Westrom's uh, form of organizations, this is actually the difference between the generative organization and the bureaucratic one. So that this idea that a bureaucratic organization would be driven by rules. So the rules are every day you need to push you know, you need to push your code before you go home, right? So the rule are the the rule is you need to hand off your bureaucracy to the next person in the pipeline, right? So that this is a handoff based um, culture, whereas a generative culture would be collaborating so that they know that I don't need to rush the push because nobody benefits from the push. The only benefit is getting something in the hands of the users before end of day, so I can still talk to them if, then, if, if possible. If I can't talk to them today, then I should make it my priority to get something to them in a, a context where I am capable of having a conversation with them, even if it's an asynchronous digital conversation, mm -hmm. and respond to their feedback. You know, and in small, medium businesses, the biggest symptom that I see about this especially uh, and Brian mentioned, you know, that it's addictive to get this kind of feedback. And I agree, yeah, getting positive is. feedback is really addictive. It's like, yes, we're doing a good job. What I would even say, you 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 feel shallow when you don't get feedback anymore. Yeah, you develop insecurity code. when when you suddenly yeah. don't get anything anymore from the outside. Um, yeah. Definitely, I, I can agree. Yeah. Uh, 
because in, in, in wait, I'm just going to ask, uh, read out what's on screen. I will ask you on what time does a backend person and DevOps team do need communication with the other person and on what situations or not. I'm trying to create interfaces where the people on the backend doesn't need to talk to the customer side. I hope this is very good to let backend and UX especially talk together because they're different thinkings. I think for the most part, um, if the point is, if the point of the backend developer not talking to the customer is that they don't have to do it synchronously, I think that's okay. That might be, you know, that's what MPS is, you know, net promoter score. It's like, I don't want to talk to everybody individually. I just want to send them a MPS survey. And then we sort of aggregate that. And then we imagine we've spoken to our audience in aggregate. That's okay. That's, I, I have no problem with that. What I do have a problem with is when there's, there's this, let's say appointment of a person who says, oh, I represent the customers mm -hmm. and I will pretend I know what the customer wants. And then the developers have this sort of weird fake role play with this person. This might be a product owner where they say, as a customer, would you like this? Would you pay money for this? And it's like, yeah, I don't know. It's like, build it and maybe, maybe, maybe they'll come. <laughs> and that, and that, like the, that way of doing handoffs is, I don't think it's practical. It's way too speculative. Like, why would you speculate if you have hard data? Because in, I, I want to add something. Um, so we work with uh, another company together and they have in their form of DevOps team, a UX mm -hmm. designer implemented. So in, in the end yes. of uh, the, the comment was about the communication between devs and UX and um, DevOps can include UX. So there's yeah. no reason why, why UX shouldn't be a part of that because um, the UX guys are actually, you know, speaking a lot with, the um let's say the the stakeholders outside of of the business you know mm -hmm. and you need to feedback of them early on before you start during the development and after the uh, you know deployment so for the feedback cycle it's always good to have multiple disciplines to translate um the feedback into something something that does it's actually is, yeah. is understood by the common understanding of the team yeah. you know and this is very important in my opinion it there's nothing worse than no feedback Mm -hmm. I see a lot of decisions made in smaller, non-data-driven, bureaucratic cultures or intuitive cultures, you know, ego-driven cultures, where they will take lack of feedback, you know, and a, a, a workplace that has a, that, 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 that represents a lack of psychological safety, where people generally don't speak up and they stay silent, where they treat lack of data, lack of information as a signal to act upon. It's like, oh, nobody complained. Okay, let's continue. Like, no, 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 no. If you want to make them go away, you know, like if, if they have a problem, you want to help them sort of say, no, I like, like, is the product bad? Like, would you stop? Would you recommend it to a friend? Would you stop using it? What, what would make you stop using it? What will make you recommend it? It's this, it's this idea of trying to get them to open up um, with candor rather than with, you know, asking them for to highlight problems. Because if they don't care about the product, they also won't care about giving you benevolent feedback. Unless they're really pissed off, right? And and then you just get the detractors primarily. You won't get the promoters, um, and that's a really complex, you know, art in itself about communication. And it's hard, and I get it. And the developers might not want to do that because there's a lot of irrational, um, irrational involvement um, in this in this type of um, in these types of conversations. And you have to do them in aggregate. So if you have to contextualize. Okay, what does this mean? Is it just this person's opinion, or is it actually a problem with the product? Because with a lot of small, medium businesses, I see a lot of like needless features being added to a product 
and then like a few big ones to a big whale client. Like I would like to get feedback from the big whale client if I was a developer, not the, not the business analyst, the developer. If I was a designer, I would like to have feedback. If I was a, if I was a site reliability engineer, I would like feedback. It's like, hey, when we have that little downtime on Saturday mornings, does that impact you negatively in some way? You know, like what, what's going on? Well, what can we, what could be improved? What, what's the biggest, what, what's a common pain point? Mm -hmm. And the book Accelerate highlights this sort of marriage of delivery and design and development really well. So they have design and de development in a box and delivery in a box. And it, uh, we had um, well-being and burnout on yesterday's stream with Richard Donovan. It was a great stream, by the way. I, I love the sort of four people on stream sort of format. That, 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 that There was something very magical about that. Um, but it's this idea of burnout, that burnout is generally caused by um, bad, like the, the deployment pain. You know, the book talks about deployment pain, where I develop something, but then there is a, 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 a non-trivial amount of effort necessary to give it to the customer. Mm -hmm. And the idea of the Dora metrics, DevOps, you know, the accelerate the book, um, the space metrics and all of this DevX sort of developer well-being, um, fully integrated teams, autonomous teams, end-to-end -end responsible teams. The whole point is that if you deal with the pain of deployment, it will allow you to develop and design a smaller increment of the product at a time. Because the natural tendency of a team, now on enterprises, this might be a little bit alleviated because there's bureaucracy, but in startups and small engineering organizations, I see the normal tendency is if deployments are painful, we wanna do them less often and deploy something bigger. And that is the root cause of all issues then with that department is that they're hyper optimizing efficiency on a painful process rather than making the process less painful. Yeah, but there's, there's another, um, another way. So yeah, I agree. I see that often, um, but it often comes together with the idea, with the original idea. So I think it was the original idea why the recruiters try to sell you DevOps engineers is that you basically you have a team of five developers and they have develop a, a deployment pain and you basically get someone from outside who's coming once in a while and fixing your pipelines and deployment procedures and awesome. still the yep. team is not enabled to do that so mm -hmm. I, i've made a video about that i think some, some some weeks ago and you know you don't build up so you don't develop your developers to the point that they actually can handle this so you don't yeah. in, um, include the discipline of ops, you know, into yeah. your dev team, you have it as an outsider um, helping you from time to time as a contractor, but um, you will never be enabled to. So you will never overcome this hurdle. You will never solve this puzzle, you know, which yeah. is then every time a new a problem. So you will always be reluctant and feel some hesitancy before actually saying, okay, I merge to, to main now and I make a deployment, I trigger something like that. So, and I think this is a combination of both. So, and this is this is basically solely, um, so let's say the, the, the current state, 
you have several developers and they are burned out so stressed because of the deployment so they deployment. can learn it but why yeah. why do they not learn it so where's the problem why can't but they the, simplify the process you know such a such an organization generally in my experience such organizations are not not agile enough right so agile when when i use this 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 word not agile enough i don't mean that they don't have scrum masters or uh, agile coaches or they don't have certificates what i mean is that they do, they are not a learning organization they, they don't have a process of learning right so they say oh the delivery the delivery is painful so we will develop a large chunk and then deliver it in one go so we only experience the pain you know so they, they reduce the frequency of the pain by delivering less often by delivering larger chunks and then they say oh the problem is actually that we're developing too slowly because of the delivery pain right so the delivery pain makes us develop more slowly they look at the pipeline as if there is this development to be done and then delivery is instant and if it's not instant that's a problem with the pipeline and then the negative impact the, the the negative impact of the delivery pain is that we are not developing enough but that is actually the wrong root cause analysis mm -hmm. like that's that that is a organization that doesn't want to learn because generally if you were to open up this box and dig a bit deeper five wise six wise maybe it's like why is delivery you know why is delivering the software painful Oh, because it's a lot of manual processes and we need these three synchronized, three people synchronized. Why do we need that? Why do, why do these three people need, need to be present? Or because we have some gatekeeping going on and then it's the most mature people owning their own services. It's like, but, but if they require to collaborate, why do they own a service that all, why do three people own three separate services that always has to be deployed together? Isn't that one team that should be collaborating? It's like, mm -hmm. why are they siloed? Oh, because sometimes all three of them, they're the most mature people. They have three different parallel streams of priorities. Okay, so there's three different teams where the most senior person is the soloist building on that stream. And every now and then they have to come together and deploy the entire thing because this is underneath everything. It's a monolith. But why is that a good idea? Like, why, do, why did we set up the architecture for a company that way? Because it seems like whatever we do, for any product development that is urgent, we will fight our system. Mm -hmm. So we, 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 there's a moment in the project where we fight our architecture, where we fight our system, where we fight our pipeline. And then they are the heroes. They are the unsung heroes who then get to be the owners of this fight. Like, but why do we want that? Why can't we just remove the process and merge these, have these people sit together yeah, they work together. The, the um, heroics described in the DevOps handbook, actually. Yeah. And uh, other, let's say, um, Phoenix project and all this kind of stuff. You always have the brands in your company, exactly. Um, exactly. you know, saving the day. And you don't want to have that because once the, the brand isn't there, you, you your day is not yeah. safe. And um, yeah, I saw, give, saw that saw that as well, that, that, that let's say companies often try to to fix on the wrong position. So um, for example, when you have a, a software architecture problem, which mm -hmm. results in a complex deployment strategy you need to apply to actually get that done in order mm -hmm. to fix that. So, you know, getting some feedback about this into the dev team, the dev team becomes aware of that and fix that. Instead of doing that, they're getting a quote unquote DevOps engineer oh, setting yeah. up that complex operations, leaving them alone. And then yeah. they they are they have this 
awful architecture, which is hard to develop and hard to deploy. So you can't do it any worse. You know, it, yeah. it is actually a nightmare to work in something like that. And I mm -hmm. saw that often. I saw that this year alone in several um, consultancies that this is actually common practice standard, which is yeah. sad. To be honest, it's really sad. It, it you know? is traditional project management, however. You know, if you come up, if, if you're coming from a non-iterative, like non-agile, non-learning non organization, a non-learning culture, like what, what, what Brian just said, right? So let's add another silo, right? Because we have, you know, th this is a company run by HR and the CFO. It's like, okay, what skills do we need? Oh, DevOps. Oh, we need a DevOps department. Okay. What skills do we need? We need designers. We need front-end engineers. Oh, uh, front-end engineers are now called full stack. Okay, we need a full stack. We need a full stack guild. We need a full stack tribe. We need a full stack. Uh, you know, and then then you create these silos of specialists, who, by virtue of being part of the silo rather than a product team, um, they, in order for anything meaningful to come out of this company's pipeline, you have to temporarily and very synthetically merge these people together by calling it a project. You know, so it's not a team, it's just a bunch of specialists. And the, the way to get them together is to create a project. It's like, oh, I have a project here. This project will take three, one, three months on the roadmap. Who do I need? I need two DevOps, uh, you know, two potatoes, uh, a little bit of onion, a little, you know, like it's like you can't, it's like, it's like your entire, your manpower on, on in the company is like your pantry. And you're cooking something and there's a recipe i was like oh for this product i need one devops and half a devops <laughs> you know it's like those we will have him at the beginning at the end of the project he will set up the pipeline and then he'll be supporting when we deploy so i need half a devops person uh, one and a half manager and two back-end engineers one of them should know a bit of front end and one for full stack designer <laughs> right so that's a sort of wishy-washiness of playing monopoly with your with your with your talent with your people in your company and i see a lot of companies work like this it's like how oh, i have this project who do i need rather than saying i'm building this product which people do i want to own this product how will they operate like what do they need to succeed and it's and it's a it's a culture of empowerment it's a culture of saying i don't want to micromanage this ad infinitum i want to define the project i want to hire a team that will own this product once once it's no longer a project you know the project might be the initial market testing but then if it's viable we'll call this a product and we'll absorb it into our into our how, how did you call it our portfolio of products right so if we if our company prides itself yeah. with three products well god damn it there should be three product teams in that company right not an engineering department and something else around it Right? For three products, we should have three product teams. Because then I know which product team is working on which product. Uh, and then they should be fully vertically inter integrated, skill complete, and essentially do DevOps. You know, do DevOps in the mature meaning of the word. Uh, meaning they do ops, they do their pipeline, they do maintenance, they do on-call, mm -hmm. they do Sunday morning at 3 a.m., they do design, they do UX, they do feedback, and they manage themselves. You know, th th this was the second agenda. And what do you think about this? Um, you know, this, this discrepancy, like how is it in your company, you know, self-management? Like, 
I would assume that you as the CTO who is also a business owner will hate micromanaging engineers. Yeah, so. Micromanagement is the opposite of ownership, you know? Um, so um, let's say who's the owner in a micromanaged environment? It is uh, the boss person who, who the basically person. <laughs> holds the strings, you know, the master of puppets. And Brian just linked. Exactly. And, um, and, and the other thing is that you say, okay, you get a, you, you have a task, you know, you have a goal, your common goal in your team. And this is basically your contract. Your con the team does have a contract with the company. And mm -hmm. the contract can be take care of one, two, three products, you know, and this is this is your job. You have a budget for this. You have um, you have a specific time frame for this and you need to, to provide feedback, you know, and there, there yeah. comes some some other ideas inside that, for example, that um, I, I personally think that the business should be, let's say, a little bit of flexible there as well. So, for example, if the team provides enough feedback, ongoing feedback back to the business, and yeah. the business should be able to adapt as well, for example, the timeline a little bit, the budget a little bit in order to get things done, but leave mm -hmm. the team enough autonomy to create the best possible outcome because that is long-term success. You know? Yeah, and, and, and even that wording that you just used will make me wary, like leave the team autonomy. You know, like if I leave autonomy to somebody, it implies they're not autonomous. They are autonomous by virtue of my benevolence. Like I allow them to be autonomous. But that, that that's not sovereignty you know if i allow you to be autonomous then you're not autonomous no you need to create um, the framework as a business owner for this exactly exactly so yeah. we, we need to create boundaries not autonomy so i don't give you autonomy i define a boundary and i'm autonomous on my side of the boundary and you're autonomous on your side of the boundary right so and a lot of business owners especially in small companies don't want to let go they don't want to have a boundary where they, where they say from this line onward you make product decisions, not me. And that's really hard for a lot of business owners, especially when the business owner is a CPO type, sort of they handle product, the product is their baby and they, the company grows and they need to become strategic rather than tactical. And they sort of don't want to let go of their baby. You know, it's like, yeah, that was one or... actually, when we CPO saw that, stuff. it always ended in a toxic environment, actually, yes. because on some yes. point, um, you know, those two sides clash into each other. And yes, we, we had that this year with another call. Uh, let, let's say, let's, let's go ahead. <laughs> I opened this link by Brian and I thought it was about safe, but it's actually satire. <laughs> it's satire. So the, 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 the press gang is in the press gang ceremony. Each feature captain chooses two to 20 code engineers from the coding pool to deliver the next feature. This ensures each code engineer is allowed to work on new and interesting things and that are fully utilized, right? So in the, <laughs> I love this. This is a great website. Uh, <laughs> Convoy alignment. This is a five-day meeting held every six weeks for planning the next eight quarters of features to ensure the critical paths are aligned. See the agenda for details. I love it. <laughs> I mean, it's it, in a way, it's sad because I know companies that work like this and it's, it's really hard to get to convince them to do something else. But even the fact that I have to do some convincing, you know, I, they, they bring me in as a coach and I, the fact that I have to do convincing, then it's what should we do to go faster and be, you know, be more reliable mm. and well, just give, like provide boundaries, like define this team works on this and it definitely does not work on that. And then let them prioritize. Just, just, just tell them what are the priorities and let them follow the priorities. You know, as <laughs> Brian has cards. 
<laughs> we gotta take we gotta get Brian on the show and talk about safe. I mean we have to <laughs> we have to get that on the <laughs> on the bucket list. Um so this this idea of management is can be can become very toxic if it's pervasive. Yeah. Right? So if a manager manages resource utilization, right? So if the if the if the because the ideal, ironically, and I think this has to do with the image that engineers present, is that ideally, your engineering department, your product engineering department, that does, that also does delivery, so it's a fully mature DevOps culture. Ideally, you would want it to be a black box, where you put mm -hmm. money in and it gets you more money out. You put a million in, a million two hundred thousand come out. So then what you want to maximize is how much money you put in. That's a profit center. And it, it will have a natural ceiling where you start getting um, diminishing returns on what they can actually get out of that, you know, scaling. And that generally that's how VC funded startups even want to operate. They want to create this black box and then just, just you know, just use it as a money making machine. Mm. The issue is that oftentimes by virtue of optimizing the pipeline too soon, managers have this tendency of breaking up the process to match their Gantt chart of the roadmap. So we're going to do a little bit of design and then we'll do a little bit of engineering. And then while we're doing that, we're designing the next thing. And then there's this pipeline thing going on. And this already creates a culture of handoffs, right? And, and you can see, and you in chat, you can you can you can check if this is happening at your company. If you're often finding yourself wanting to be involved in the project sooner, right? So a fully mature DevOps culture mm -hmm. means that when a project starts, the project starts. The project doesn't start when it has been planned for four months. And then we start programming. That's not mature DevOps. That's that, that's the opposite of it. Like we can still do big design up front, but it's the engineers doing big design up front by virtue of building prototypes and figuring out what to design and what not to design, like testing their designs. Um, like that's that's commonplace. I mean, that's how rockets are made. Like you build things in isolation and you build them in test harnesses. You test the modules individually. And then you can only have one shot at it. So you better make sure mm -hmm. it's really designed well and you design it well by virtue of isolating them and testing them very well. But that, and, but software engineers and managers of software and projects generally think that this means, oh, we have, we do no planning, no estimation. We start when it's, it makes sense and we, yeah. it's done when it makes sense. And that's silly. That's like, you can't run a business like that, but that does not provide good, benevolent, predictable business outcomes. And it's just, burning money because it, it doesn't solve the problems. It doesn't provide good feedback loops. It, it doesn't solve this problem of accidentally working on something too large, like where the, the, the cadence, the release cadence is too large, accidentally, unplanned delay. Uh, it doesn't solve the problem of the delivery pain. It doesn't solve the problem of being able to uh, um, get the team together in a benevolent way, collaborate at the same time rather than doing handoffs. And then if you don't solve any of these problems, you just see challenges and you will be 
foolish not to address those challenges and then you solve the challenges with the wrong uh the wrong solutions uh, and generally that would mean oh there's disconnect between testing and developers okay let's have a qa process there's disconnect between the designer and the front-end engineer okay let's have a handoff and a design review you know and then they have all these like little gatekeeping processes in place because they think that 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 actually addresses the symptoms of this culture but doesn't improve the culture because it's mm -hmm. not you know the, the root cause is that such a culture is not a learning organization yeah. it is an organization trying to optimize throughput right so the, they, they want to optimize the the maximum capacity of the pipeline and guess what happens that pipeline will always run at the maximum capacity leading to burnout meaning that whatever is running really fast through this pipeline is of very low quality and it's very low, very, yeah, very low. But this is this is then then we're getting back to the point where we said um, you pass autonomy and you shouldn't pass autonomy because you can you know pull autonomy away again so this is when you say hey team let's start and mm -hmm. when it's not not going fast for you as fast enough for you as a business owner you just you know pull away again and try to oversteer and this is then a, a very you know a very toxic uh, thing which can yeah. happen and you shouldn't do that because um you know that that this all let's say the, you say pipeline when when the pipeline is not running fast enough you know we don't mean the cicd pipeline now it is the, the let's the say the pipeline of product, yeah, product, the, product the, the life yeah. cycle getting out new values um yeah. you know to the client then it's actually still the problem of the devops team you know um, let's say devops team it's a, of the development team you know every everyone inside that team so it, it is it does make more sense that the business person that joins the team for a while to get mm -hmm. that you know fixed together but mm -hmm. don't oversteer it by an outside view so yeah. this is very important because business does most of the times not have the clue what actually happens when they when they order specific things or oversteer specific things the outcome is in most of the cases a toxic environment and a long-term problem you put into place um, and this can then lead to a burnout situation because you you are as a team out of control you know okay. um, this is what uh, richard donovan yesterday said on the well-being stream um, then you are actually out of control because it is not in your hands anymore so there is a problem you know that but you need to do what others tell you in order to fix that but you see that you're actually not fixing it yeah. because uh, yeah this is this is what you should and, and it can also about. create negative feedback loops yeah. that regardless of what you do the problem will just seem permanent yeah and then you'll just you, you'll rob the team of being able to celebrate because you know if i push my feature i never see it being you know i never see the the, the benevolent outcome mm -hmm. celebrated by the user I just see my pipeline being full and I'm always late and I'm always, I have always too much things to do and the priorities always change and requirements are always wrong. And I just constantly run in this jungle and especially junior engineers, they find themselves blaming management for that. But in reality, that's actually a DevOps problem. It's like, why are we doing business requirement handoffs without testing them? You know, I, I often, I often, I often, you know, and the sort of, I'm often the contrarian in, in, the, in these kinds of stakeholder meetings. And I'm asking, well, you just defined a lot of business requirements. Like how do, how would we test if they're the right requirements for our users right now? 
Mm. You know, because they might be the right requirements, but maybe the timing is not okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's not the right time to go to market with all of these things at the same time. You know, how would we test any of those assumptions? And you know, an ego-driven organization would generally say, no, the requirements are right. The requirements are right. This has to be done. I know what the users want. You know, and Brian also said, you know, the requirements are always wrong. The more work we plan on delivering before getting feedback, the more, the more wrong we are. Um, and this has to do with the delivery pain, right? So product design and product development benefits from short feedback cycle cycles. That's the whole point of, you know, the first part I have DevOps, uh, I have accelerate the book open to me, you know, the, the very first part of any kind of good mature DevOps organization is getting the culture of delivery really low cadence, continuous development continuous delivery, continuous integration, trunk-based development. Please, for the love of God, do TVB. Not, not because you hate it or because Kent Beck told you so or because influencers told you that you're a poo-poo developer if you're, you're not using TVB. But I would ask everybody, just, just get something in your process that gives you extremely quick feedback that improves your confidence. Now, usually that used to be a compiler. Now, back in the nineties, a compiler was enough for that. A compiler was something where you didn't have to run it on the mainframe. You could just compile it and see, you know, if it compiled, it meant that it, the, the program could be solved in a mathematic way. It could be proven correct. You know, uh, and to a, to a large degree, if you look at the NASA specs for how they write software for, uh, for their rockets, they want the, you know, they have very strict rules of what mm -hmm. is, uh, what, what programming paradigms are allowed to be used because they want each, they want each program to be proven correct, right? So they want it to have a very, they don't want to, it to use heap memory. They want it to use very predictable outcomes. It should never throw an exception, right? So each scenario has to be accounted for, um, so that the program can just be by virtue of static analysis, be proven correct. And we don't do that anymore. You know, dynamic, dynamic languages rule the web, JavaScript, TypeScript, you know, even PHP, C sharp has dynamic components, mm -hmm. Rust has dynamic components. You know, Go is Go is getting a little bit back to the roots, which, which I really like. Um, but again, it, it's it's coming back to this idea that the compiler is is not enough anymore. You know, the feedback from the compiler is not enough. We need to write a program that gives us feedback, and TDD is great for that. But in the same vein, you know, if, if that is the tactical, we also need to create the machine that, you know, tests for us our assumptions that give us feedback as well about our strategy, and that's DevOps. DevOps is about creating a process that forces us to get feedback real quick. Right, so you start work by saying, I am building a feature. I define this as successful, this as not successful, and I am capable of measuring that to some degree on a spectrum. Mm -hmm. Right, that, that's really important. And you can't do that if you don't. Now, you can do that in two ways. You can measure the, the product delivery metrics of Okay, once we were done, how long did it take to get to the user? Like, was it a clumsy process or was it, was it seamless and instantaneous? 
you know, for example, this might be a huge problem for app development on mobile. It's like, okay, when you have an update, how long does it need to reach the user? Because the user also needs to decide that they will update the app, right? So how do we, there's something very socio-technical going on here. It's like, we need to inspire them to update the app. Should we force them? Should we ask them? Do they have a choice? At what point do they no longer have a choice? And then that becomes, again, part of DevOps. And then there's the other side, which is measuring the product design, the, the development cycle of it. It's like, did we develop this correctly? Did we, did we put the button where it should be? Does, do they expect the button to be synchronous or asynchronous? Like when they hit the button, do they expect that to actually have happened? Or is that just a guarantee that if it will happen at some point in the future mm -hmm. and they need to come back in like five minutes? Uh, you know, I see this often with reports on, on Stripe where I say, hey, I want to report for this. And I say, this one, please. And they tell me, oh, it'll take some few minutes. We will email you when it's ready. And I'm like, okay, but now or in half an hour? And, <laughs> you know, I had this I had this problem today with like one of, one of the services I'm using had two-factor authentication. And it's not sending me an SMS. Yes, this is common. Right? And it's Quite like, annoying. But, and annoying. And it's like, well, did I do my, you know, and that's a DevOps problem. Like I would want the team to be fully empowered to do that. I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want a customer to complain about it. And then the, the engineering team says, oh, that's one of our outside, you know, we don't have mm, hand off to that other department. Cause that's what, that, that's what I hate as well about customer support. I call somebody and they say, oh, that's not my thing. Let me wire you to that other person. And then I have to explain it to them again. Oh, that's mm -hmm. not my thing. I, sh I think you should talk to somebody technical and they wire me over to somebody and I have to explain it to them again. And ironically, a lot of businesses work like that. A lot of software organizations operate like that. It's like, hey, can we add this thing here? Can we run this experiment? Oh, I don't know. You should maybe talk to engineering. It's like, hey, engineering, can we do this? Okay, what? What? No, we're, super, we're busy. We're in a hurry. Okay, we can't do it, but please remove one of these seven projects. And this person has no idea yeah. what those seven projects are because you know, they are they have a different pain. They have a pain of being overcommitted. They have too many things in the pipeline. I um, would say we we should maybe because we are through actually through the uh, through the agenda, but we still mm -hmm. have uh, plenty of time. Yeah. Um, I would uh, first of all ask the audience about um, topics we should discuss. In your opinion, um, I would have one for, for just for us now. Is um, you know. I get that asked quite often how to actually implement DevOps. So um, I, I'm not a fan of this, this question because you don't really implement DevOps. You cultivate DevOps. This is how I put it. So uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about how to, how to get to the point to have such an environment, a culture, a team, however you want to call it now. So because, you know, I think... I'm not even sure how many of, of the listeners actually or you know or the audience is really in a in a in a DevOps team by the definition we've just had today, you know. The wider. Exactly. So I guess that most of the people who actually watch this um, are not in a hundred percent of that kind of environment because most teams I met are you know traditional software teams um, and doing somehow this 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 Some stuff to deploy and handoff. then it's good Something you know yeah. and, and as soon as they deploy they don't hear back until someone is yelling at them or giving new tickets so this is actually um something i see often so how do you get from this traditional process to um let's say a devops culture so where I, you have this end-to-end -end responsibility baked into the team culture 
I would say, because I, I, I deal with this a lot, I would say, um, regardless of your position, what you are, uh, and please don't self-label as, oh, this is not my thing because I'm a junior, or this is not my thing because I'm an engineer, mm -hmm. or this is not my thing because X or Y. You're part of the same company. It's your problem. So just, you know, somebody requested it. Hopefully it has market demand. So hopefully a real person has requested this feature. It's not just somebody's wish list, which sadly, sometimes that's the case. Sometimes what you're working on is irrelevant and unnecessary. And that's just the reality. But my practical advice would be when you find yourself that you have a handoff process in your pipeline, resist the urge to, to stop at the handoff. Mm -hmm. When you hand off, rather than handing off and then continuing with a new thing, because you probably have a backlog and you probably have tickets and you hand off and you start the next ticket. When you hand off, rather than handing it off, ask for the person to come to you. Yep. And then collaborate with them rather than handing it off. It's like, I have it ready. Now, rather than handing it off, please, let's schedule a meeting and let's meet and let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. And then help let's, let's get it done. It's, let's get you know, it done. Yes. Right? It's done when, for example, let's say a very simple thing. This is what most people have. You have someone who's creating a ticket for the dev team. The developer takes this ticket. And the simplest thing you can do is actually go with that ticket you know, when, when you have it done, when you have deployed, for example, on a staging system, production, it doesn't matter. Feature flex, it doesn't matter. Go to that person and ask for a short meeting. Can it come to my desk? Can we use yeah. Teams, Slack, or whatever to talk about that? Even if get it's direct, straight feedback. We, we did that alone. Yeah. We, we did that alone today. I, sometimes I attend those meetings, um, you know, three or four times today. And every time you do that, every time you do that, another great side effect happens the stress level on all levels is reduced because yeah. you have delivered something because often we had that two streams or th uh, three streams ago that 100 percent problem you know in most companies you have a, a delivery yeah. of zero and hundred it's it's yeah. binary it's nothing in between not done but, not done not done not done exactly not but done, if you late, have a, if done, you have late. a work of week you know and you you are late let's say yeah. three days then you have 10 days or oh, no, no let's say, let's say. then you have um yeah eight days actually then you have eight days um where people or your business stakeholders your clients think nothing had is done you know nothing happened yeah. and what you want to achieve is on each day talk about what you've done you know mm -hmm. um get feedback what you can improve then there is yeah. so much value every day that that actually the it feels faster, even if it takes longer, it feels faster and the outcome will be better because you have feedback from day one and not and three days late. And, and then you start price. again because you are not ready. And yeah. the people say after eight days, oh, there's not something we need to improve still because you yeah. forgot something. And then you have three more days, which is more costly, more stressful. And yeah. the notion of uh, the IT team is not delivering. You yeah. know? And then you feel like the black sheep. Exactly. And then you're constantly late. And then mm -hmm. when you are done, you don't celebrate because you are done and late. Right. So it, it creates this culture where being done is stigmatized because mm -hmm. being done is not good enough. Being done on time is good enough, maybe good enough. Because what, but what the business really wants is they just want you to figure out the core outcome of what they want and deliver it without spending the entire budget. 
Like that's the ideal outcome. And most software, you know, most low non-elite performing software in cultures, software organizations are way below that standard. They will define a budget, they will define a timeline, and then they will deliver over budget and late most of the time. And that can be avoided, but it requires a very holistic approach to delivery. You know, um, in a way, um, the Ritz chain of hotels is notorious for being, they have coined the term customer obsession and they work like this. They're not about software. They're not a software company. They do hotels, but they, they have this kind of process. They have DevOps. I mean, I don't know what they call it, but they are a DevOps culture where they say, okay, it's like everybody's part of a value stream. Not everybody's capturing revenue, but everybody's part, part of the same value stream. The value stream being that we have a guest and we want them to have an amazing experience that they will want to come back for and recommend to their friends. And they have a lot of different ways of how to nurture customer obsession. You know, they might have budgets for solving any problems. They might have uh, protocols for what to do with, you know, if when somebody finds a problem, they make it their responsibility to fix the problem. There is no hands offs. There is no, oh, I will connect you, but no, no, no. I am empowered. Like regardless of my station, I am empowered to solve any problem for the guest. And it is my responsibility to make sure that the problem of the guest who alerted me has been fixed. Mm -hmm. And that creates a very, that is what customer obsession is. It's when a customer complains that they can't log in. If a developer catches that complaint, they don't triage, they don't hand it off to somebody, they go and fix it. Mm -hmm. That's DevOps. That's pure DevOps. You have a big client who's very important to you. They have a problem and you don't ask for permission. Make it, make you it your business problem as a developer. Make, you, make it, you make their problem your problem. You, you, you own their problem. You mm -hmm. say, okay, you have a problem, I'm owning it. You have a problem with our system, you have a bad experience with our system, okay, I'm owning it. Or my team is owning it. Or my, my, my squad is owning it. Like depending mm -hmm. on, there will be a subdivision of some kind, right? So the, the more, the bigger, the more complex the, 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 the value stream pipeline, the more subdivisions it will have. But it's important that everybody can make the decision of, oh, we need to fix this. So that, that there isn't this constant centralized authority for priorities, because as the organization grows, the person who's prioritizing will always be biased towards prioritizing things that they find important. But if they haven't built the system, and more importantly, if the person defining priorities did not create the pipeline, which defines the feedback loop, then they don't have any feedback data. They're outside of the loop which is yeah. why CEOs, CPOs, and CTOs should generally never make these kinds of decisions. They should not be involved mm -hmm. because they are not inside the loop that is exposed to all the feedback. Now, ironically, in most companies, that feedback loop is exposed and captured and siloed to customer care. And that's very sad. Yeah. That is a, that is a gold mine. Like that is, that is just pure you have that even in very mind. small companies where you have some form of person who's basically owning the phone um yeah yeah and have you know there's so much feedback which this person is not able to translate to the yeah. developers that you miss a lot of business opportunity there 
I yeah. can't speak about that. Yeah. Yeah. Brian also mentions like if you're not studying the business as hard as you're studying how to develop better, you're failing as a software engineer. Yeah. And this is, I keep going back to this quote on, on one of the Amazon uh, stakeholder meetings where uh, I think it was one of the press releases for the yearly, um, for the yearly reports that they do as a public company. And they, and they said that one of the most important things is product engineering and um, business understanding in one skull. Right? Mm -hmm. So it should be everybody's job to cultivate product understanding, like business, sorry, programming skill, they called it, and business understanding like in, in one brain, like the combination of it, right? So the team won't be successful when we have a very good DevOps person and a very good full stack developer and a very good software architect and a very good machine learning specialist and a very, like, it's not about the heroes because possibly if that's your environment, it's very likely toxic because it just has a bunch of assholes who just want to dominate their particular field and have not its silos. The best way of building a DevOps culture is to nurture product and business understanding yeah. on the most technical, on the most exposed, on the most sort of touching the metal uh, uh, part of your organization. You, so you asked me, you know, to be practical. What else can we do to adopt this if you're not in such a culture? Definitely follow the value stream up and down. Mm -hmm. If you get a task. If somebody gives you a task, hands you off a task, don't just accept it. Sit down with them. Negotiate with them. Try to make it go away. That is one of the first things I teach developers is negotiate. Like try, try to make the task go away. Test if it's really serious. Test if it's like really, you know, important to the business or if this is some low-hanging fruit that somebody said, oh, maybe we could add this, you know, experiment a bit. Because a lot of times people just don't have ideas. And they're just scraping the bottom of the barrel, you know, for new product ideas. They just, you know, dump a lot of things into the backlog. And it's like, yeah, let's try a few things. I don't know what we should do next. Let, let's try. Yeah, you can you can do experimentation, but then you should uh, label it experimentation. Yes. yes. And, and don't, you know, experiments should not become permanent feature. You need to maintain yeah, and exactly. you know, create a burden with that. Exactly. That's, so uh, would, that's two would, different would, pairs of shoes. Yeah, I would always recommend... Follow, follow the person, follow the line where the requirements are coming from and go to the source and negotiate with them, talk to them, try to understand them. That's one side. The other side is when you're handing off something, go all the way with that person. There might be another department down the line. You know, it's like when, uh, one of the most frustrating experiences I had in one of, one of my companies back in 2017 when DevOps, you know, if you look at Google Trends, DevOps was sort of starting to accelerate in 2000. I mean, when the book came out, when Accelerate came out, that, that's when sort of DevOps became, started becoming popular, late 2016, 2017. Um, is that one of the most frustrating things that I've experienced as an engineer? I uh, was leading a team and then the team grew and then the company grew and it boomed and then suddenly we grew the company like 5x in, uh, in eight months. And that was, that was shocking. And then suddenly we had site reliability engineer, a QA engineer and everybody. And mm. I still wanted to follow my ticket end to end. And they were like, no, Dennis, this is not QA. And I'm like, yes. So I'm now here and we will QA this together because <laughs> I want to make sure, <laughs> I want to make sure, I promise this is going live. So, but it, it appeared that I'm micromanaging, you know, like, like to them appeared, it's like, oh, Dennis is done. And he not only handed off the ticket, but he also sat down next to me. It's like, what should I do? 
<laughs> I mean, and I was I was a bit pushy because I saw the silos being created. I was trying to push against them, but that that was that that was a frustrating. I mean, I recommend doing this, but it is in a bit it is a bit frustrating because you will encounter the resistance that the bad culture has established, mm -hmm. and there is no way around that. That you will push some buttons, you will trigger some. Like it is a very un irrational way of approaching transformation, and this is a natural thing that happens. And it's for you, it's really important to understand that it's not personal. You, as a professional, pride yourself in saying, "Hey, I task myself with making sure that this gets delivered, and that it has appropriate quality, and I want to make sure I get feedback mm -hmm. from the customers while I still have time to act on it." Just follow the ticket through the pipeline. Like, talk to everybody who touches. Even if you have handoffs, like coordinate with them. Like appear as if you are the owner of this thing that has to make it all the way to the pipeline to production. Yeah. Because sometimes it's easy to just ask your 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 business stakeholder, your connection, mm -hmm. whoever is responsible for that one. Um, mm -hmm. Is that ticket done? Yeah. So the ticket is not done when you hand it over. The ticket <clears throat> is done when. Yeah everyone thinks it's done and then you can go over gather some feedback yeah. and maybe you get that back some days because there is people found something which wasn't done but at least you have you know you you went all the way and this is how i can say that um, this, this is again you reduce the stress levels you you increase the feedback and, it's, and, this, and that's it's funny a good outcome. it's funny you should say this because I, i i saw this happening in the late 2000s 2010s where this i don't know what to call it I, i saw this for the first time on going from trello to jira and i don't know what it is but every team that i see working with jira they quickly adopt this individuated definition of done like the ticket is not done but the ticket is done for me because i have reassigned it to some other person mm -hmm. because like, then so it, it basically disappears from your board Yeah, it's like I have my board. Like there is a board for the team, and there is my board. Yeah, my but issues. but this is this is. The, and then I when I reassign it, when I when I say when I reassign it to somebody, it's done for me. No, it, and this, that's is like, and that's the, this, and that's this is definitely. This is backlog management. This, this is, is backlog uh, management. Yeah. When when somebody uh, you know when you are not self-serving your backlog, while you have a real backlog where you can go to as a software developer and pick your next task instead, uh, some project managers are you know filling up your day backlog where, mm -hmm. which is then becoming a weekly backlog and sometimes yeah. a monthly backlog because you cannot work down um, anymore um, this is the actual thing where you try to get that ticket away from you and take the next one so this is a, um, a problem created by let's say the company or the teams themselves so this is uh, the actual answer to yeah. your question actually yeah what, so we have what? some some comments so I, But they yeah, just ahead. statements. Go ahead. They are statements. Uh, yeah. Brian is passionately following our conversation, which I really appreciate. Um, and Tobias has to go. So Tobias, thank you for taking the time for dedicating thank this you. part of your day to <laughs> spend it with us. I really appreciate it. Uh, we are making this a regular thing from now on. Mm -hmm. So Adrian and I will be sort of pairing up with a mutual brand. We will be rebranding slightly because uh, now right now it's our individual brands mixed together a little bit. We're we're doing this live. We're, we're figuring it out as we go. So, <laughs> um, 
but we are committing to having a joint stream Wednesday 4 p.m. CET and Thursday 4 p.m. CET where either one of us or together can show up and sort of essentially regularly give you a show Wednesdays and Thursdays. Yeah. Um, and you will always have, let's say, two tip, uh, topics a week where you can join yeah. when, when, when one, one is, for example, more interesting for you. Um, and then you can follow up uh, the each uh, newsletter about that when we go yeah. into a deep dive. There is still missing a, a deep dive from my side regarding legacy migrations. This will come mm -hmm. out soon. Um, yeah, the strangler fig, uh, the strangler fig. Side of it. Yeah. That's a yeah, very important and very connected topics, actually. So mm -hmm. uh, let's say those those topics are not really standalone. They 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 are you know standalone in one sense. But um, for example, we had this yesterday with burnout, then the legacy migrations, yeah. then we had continuous delivery, trunk based development, um, monotasking, all this kind of stuff. This goes all into the same direction. Of course, we are not talking about topics we don't know. And mm -hmm. we have some form of biasness together, but but it's actually working quite well together. Mm -hmm. uh, and so all our topics are going into the direction of creating a great engineering culture, you know, for the mm -hmm. developers, um, for, for, for basically every level. So this is what we've said yesterday as well. Um, it's not about that we only want to talk with the seniority of developers. We want to reach everyone, you know, from the junior developer up to the CTO. Um, from the strategic down to the operational part. And, <laughs> and this is very important, actually, uh, to... How to make work suck less. Yes, essentially. Yes, that's, exactly. it, that's, it, that's it in a nutshell. Because, you know, um, <laughs> these days, you have the chance to learn how to improve. So when, when yeah. I grew up in that business, you had some handbooks. It, that, that, that was it, you know, some manuals. There was nobody even talking about the culture. And um, there were years, it, it felt a little bit like a dark age sometimes. So I mean, there were years of no real enhancement. There, there was this disconnect because a lot of a lot of people who went into this kind of web, like DevOps, yeah, they were training computer science, right? Yeah. But they didn't understand the, the human, the socio-technical, the operational side of running a technology company. The only, you know, it was very academic. Mm -hmm. It dealt with, you know, and that, and that's very good if you're dealing with low-level stuff, compilers. If you're dealing with complex data structures, and your job is essentially what everybody dreads on lead code. If that's actually your job from a research perspective, but that, but that is very much that that is a science, right? Like that is research. That is academic. What we're doing every day, this is operational. This is entrepreneurial. We're building products. We're doing business. Yeah. We're doing business by building products, by maintaining those products, by operating those products, by changing those products, pivoting those yeah, products, by, by creating. By, but not only that, not only do we create products, but we manage and create pipelines that create these products. And that's what DevOps is. Like, ne never mind building your product. You need to build the right pipeline to build your product. Right. So when I when when somebody asks me. Hey, Dennis, can we do an experiment? I'm like, okay, short or long? Because if it's a long experiment, I will build a pipeline for it. Yeah. You know, I can't just willy-nilly do experiments from one week to another and then one year later have something amazing. I need a pipeline for that. I need to understand what is a cadence. Like, how, how am I getting feedback? How, how will I know? Like, what is the kill switch? How do I self... If we 
do experiment upon experiment upon experiment upon experiment for six months and then decide this is not working out. How do I kill it? How do I remove it from the code base? That has to be planned in. That, that has to be sprint zero. That has to be day zero. That has mm -hmm. to be iteration zero. It has to, it has to define. I think Brian mentioned this. It, iteration zero is defining the pipeline that will at least serve you for the near future. Right? So if, you're, if you already know it's going to take a month, step one should be defining a pipeline. You know, and I do coach a lot of teams on this, uh, where a lot of our conversations with the team is, well, you're, you're fixing a bug and you're, you're not really fixing the bug. You're fighting the project. You're fighting the pipeline. You're fighting the architecture. You need to do that first. Right? You need to have a safety net. You need to have, you know, like you're building a house, you need scaffolding. Otherwise, somebody might die. You know, and then lawyers come in and then it's like, well, <laughs> no more bug fixes. That's <laughs> you know, it's, it's not okay. You know, um, and right now, you know, with all the, with, you know, maybe I'm just over dramatizing, but with with the amount of wars and conflicts that are happening, especially on the sort of European and sort of U.S. adjacent um, territories, the more cybersecurity threats are, you know, the, the 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 cyber the cyber attacks that are happening regularly are directly related to the amount of conflict there is in the world. So if there is a huge war going on in in Israel or in Russia or the Middle East, expect to have you know a large degree of outages on that region of AWS or on those regions of your 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 pass provider or your uh, your infrastructure mm -hmm. provider. And you as a DevOps team have to take that into account. Like your pipeline needs to take that into account. It can't just be something that you hand off at the end of the project to some person that you're sort of paying part time. You know that that half. DevOps person that is sort of hiring part-time onto the project. Yeah. It has to be holistic. You have to be able to say, yes, we are taking full responsibility for this. Because there's nothing worse when somebody says, oh, I want to log into my system and my two-factor authentication doesn't work. Yeah, but this this is a, a good thing. So um, we had the, this idea of um, uh, you know deploying on Friday. This will be actually a topic with uh, Tobias. He was just in the audience. We will have mm -hmm. him on stream about this as well. And um, you know, Friday. You know, Friday is, for example, in Germany, last day of the week. So then you have Saturday and Sunday is free time. But this is still the area of responsibility of the yeah. DevOps culture of the DevOps team yeah. because um, you need to make sure that your application is fulfilling the SLA on those two days because no one else will do. So there is no, let's say, ops person there in, in a night shift um, sitting there and, you know, watching some metrics or something like that. So, of course, if there can be an outage, then you need to react. You need to have some measurement and alerting for that. But you need to make sure in first place that this will work out. So you need to adapt your whole way of working, whole mm -hmm. way of deploying things, running things, take that into account so the whole architecture around your and, your deployment is very important in this case. and this attitude towards on call like if you get woken up saturday morning at 8 at 3 a.m that is part of the product mm -hmm. so if you're responsible for that that means that if waking up at 3 a.m in the morning on sun saturday sucks then it sucks for you by choice and the only way to fix this problem is if you actually say, no, I'm going to go fix this problem without asking for permission mm -hmm. on a work day. Because it's me waking up Saturday morning at 3 a.m. and I know it will suck. 
unless mm -hmm. I create some tooling, some automation to help me figure out things in that part of the day. And, and this mindset will lead to skills. Yes. You know, um, but, when you practice that important. for years, you, you get to the point where you're a very, very skillful person. Um, yes. Unlike people who, who, who haven't done that, who now say oh, others will take care of that. Um, let's say those things I don't want to do. Uh, I have I feel a lot of resistance. We talked about that yesterday. Yeah. So, so I find reasons to not work into those things. Then you don't build up skills to actually be able to mitigate those problems before they actually happen. Yeah. And one of the worst things that can happen to you is that when you're when you're so overwhelmed and so burnt out and so stressed out that you know there's a problem, but you don't fix it because there's a huge, huge fight over what the priorities are, because every pipeline is, you know, overfilled. And then you don't need you, you, you know what needs to be done. But you don't do it. Because you don't do it because you are in this mindset of I'm not allowed to work on this because I need to ask for permission. But that's your choice. Like you as the professional, you know, people ask me, what is DevOps? It is it is not about, you know, um, what, what is a senior engineer versus a junior engineer? They have they could have the same programming skill. But the senior engineer is a much more mature professional. It's nothing to do with them being a better engineer, mm -hmm. but they're a better professional. They do more. They say no to more things and they do more things by themselves without asking for permission. That's the whole point. The, 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 you know, the light at the end of the tunnel is not some perfect understanding. You know, it isn't being ChatGPT. ChatGPT by virtue of it just being a benign library is a junior engineer. Because they will not, ChatGPT won't do anything without asking for permission. They won't mm -hmm. do anything without being prompted. That's why it won't bring on a significant revolution because most engineers in the industry are junior and there's no difference between them doing themselves and prompting mm -hmm. ChatGPT. Because it's about thinking, it's about making decisions. That's the hard part of software, about product engineering and about DevOps. It's not about typing code. It's not about pushing out things to production. It's about the real efficacy of your decision-making process as an individual yeah. without deferring, without needlessly giving your power away and then having self-imposed imposter syndrome because you have elevated somebody who is a non-technical person who is outside the feedback loop, who is outside the product delivery pipeline, who is outside the product development pipeline. And then you ask them, hey, should I work on this? And yeah. what, the, what will they ask? Their number one question when you ask them, how long will this take? Because how else should they make the decision? Mm. Right? Like they don't understand anything other than the calendar. Because you're the expert. But, but once what, you what, you've, what you've just said about juniors is very important because we probably have a lot of juniors listening to that over the next days. Is that I I often said that I have a problem with the term junior developer because junior software developer, you are actually not a software developer yet. You are a programmer, like, a junior programmer. Yeah, yeah. You know? like an, and you, you, you deal with code. This is yeah, your main concern. You, you try to get your code right, you know, but between program and software developer, there is a difference. There's a different, there's a thing missing, which is, let's say, you could call it business, for example. Yeah. If you, if you say business plus programmer equals software developer, 
because um, you need to have the end-to-end -end responsibility all that what we've just talked about today you have need to have that in, as part of as your mindset your responsibility and your skill set in, in a good mix of that in order to be a developer so you need to have the willingness to fix the problems of the business with your doing so software yes. developers can even be non-programmers but software yeah. developers so you know even if ChatGPT or some open ai will uh, you know substitute the part of the programming on someday, you know, uh, we'll take it over. We can still be software developers because we fix the business problems. We know how to develop step by step in baby steps every day towards a product, towards an outcome, and then do it all over again in the cycle. Feedback, feedback, feedback. And this is even, what we need to learn, you know. Even if most, imagine a world where ChatGPT took over most of your coding you would still have to do DevOps. Yeah. But you would still have to define the processes of how often should ChatGPT deploy? How often, how should ChatGPT respond to feedback? What does that feedback look like? How does that feedback loop influence our decision-making process? Is it mm -hmm. influencing short-term decisions or long-term decisions? You know, is, is a deployment on Friday gonna like pivot our entire quarter? Um, what is our cadence to our decision-making? AI is simply a machine which overtakes the mechanical aspects of our work but yes. not the not every not the stuff you do yes. with your mind the power of yes. your mind it you might know? help you simulate a conversation that might you know it's it's like you know that the duck programming where you're talking to somebody and you're mm -hmm. essentially brain dump you're, you're you're essentially filtering your thoughts by virtue of brain dumping to somebody and then that's really helpful because then you can have like a let's say intelligently articulated conversation with somebody, ChatGPT can be like that artificial synthetic friend that you can talk to and sort of brain dump and have a, a, a linguistic conversation with, not not a compiler, not a compiled conversation with, you know, not, not, not a semantic conversation, but like a linguistic natural way of talking to, about a problem. But the bottleneck is, the bottleneck is the amount of responsible decisions you're prepared to make in your normal day. Mm -hmm. You know, if you know, if a responsible decision is, oh, I promised this feature would be done today, but I realize the pipeline is nowhere near, like it, the pipeline does not support the level of feedback cadence we need. So even if I fix the bug, I won't know if I fixed it in two days. That's a problem, mm -hmm. right? Because then if I rush, then I still, I'm still two days late because then I might have to go back next week on Wednesday. And that's the main problem. That's the main problem that has to be solved. And it's the engineer's job. Well, the engineer's. It's the people around the engineer. Yeah, I, I want to separate out. And it's not about blame. It's not about if you're an engineer. I'm not saying you're it's, you're at fault. Uh, my point is that there is there is zero efficacy in asking your manager what you should do, mm -hmm. especially if they're non-technical. There is zero. Like you as a team, you and your peers should come up with a solution and say, hey. I think if we want to deliver, you know, without spending the entire budget, we need to increase our frequency of feedback, or I need to be able to test this without deploying it and waiting for, you know, feedback from Apple. Like I need, I need some way of getting faster feedback to into the back into the system, without spending the entire timeline, without spending the entire budget, without saying, yeah, it's done on Monday, and then maybe on Friday we'll know if it works or not. Mm -hmm. That's silly, because that that prevents upper management, senior management from planning. Because they say, hey, is it done? I don't know. I'll know next week. Well, that's, that, that, that sucks. You know, and then work sucks. 
you know, the more your, your, the more your feedback pipeline sucks, the more your everyday, just normal day will suck. It becomes stressful because you, you, you cannot forget that because you, uh, just you should not forget that there's still business, uh, you know, business does have other requirements than, than software development teams have. So yeah. business is how can we get to the next job, to the next client, how we get, you know, something which actually pays the entire tech organization. And um, once they have, you know, acquired a new lead, then they work on that lead, they make promises, you know, business always makes promises, mm -hmm. um, bold promises, actually. And um, yeah, then basically, the project goes down to the, to, the, to the development. And when you then not deliver, or it is okay to deliver late, actually, it is okay, as long as everyone knows about that, which doesn't mean that is an ideal outcome. But it's better than they're not not saying anything, and then being late, and mm -hmm. everything goes, you know, or thinking that enough. feedback after the deadline is good enough. It's not. So basically, yeah, because, exactly. you know, imagine you are then in a business. What are you going to tell the actual people who consume in your product? You know, uh, maybe yeah, but when it's ready, yeah, uh, next week. And then maybe. we make the next promise. And it's not ready. And then you speculate, right? And then, you're, yeah. then your work sucks because you speculate. Mm -hmm. right? and, and, and that's that's one of the root causes of you know people and people ask me then it's how should I estimate this then it's how should I estimate this and I always tell them just 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 separate out the terminology of forecasting and estimating and forecast using your data and stop guessing stop speculating because the more you speculate the more you speculate on a wider range of time the more your work will suck the more stressful everything will be the more unpredictable everything will be the more the more the more backlog you will need to have in your mind about, okay, what estimate did I promise to whom? And when did I promise that? And is, is that still relevant? And if not, do I need to let them know? Like they mm. should, because then it centralizes all the burden of managing all this communication overhead to the person who gave the estimate. And maybe that's your VPE, maybe that's your engineering manager, maybe that's every individual team on the, on the, on the engineering team. Imagine what it is if you give estimates and people hold you accountable for this estimate as if they were forecasts and then something goes wrong. Now there's 10 people needing to talk to seven different stakeholders, letting them know, oh, this moved a little bit and that moved a little bit. And yeah, but it's still insecurity. It's yes, still it's not precise because it's just it's still, another uh, guess now. It's another guess. I was wrong with my guess. So now I will speculate trying to figure out how, what percentage of progress we made on my wrong guess. <laughs> it just drives me crazy. And I always tell them just stop speculating. If your process requires you to speculate, there is a problem in your process. It, and I love Vasco Duarte's quote on this. There's two things with your process. You either trust it and it works, or you need to change it. There is no improving it. You're like, oh, I need to improve my bad process, or I need to improve my estimation skill. Just, you got to change it. It doesn't work, change it. Mm -hmm. If you deploy and you need a week to figure out whether everything works or not, that process is not serving you if you need more frequent cadence. If you want to plan every week, then you need feedback every day. If you want to plan every day, then you need feedback every hour. If you want to plan every quarter, then you need feedback every week. That's it, it, it's simple math, but we don't take it seriously because mm. I can tell you a story that says, okay, I can plan the quarter. And in order for us to be on time at the end of the quarter or even sooner, we have to be on time every day, every week. That means that this week should have looked like X. 
And if this week doesn't look like X on Friday, then that means we're now late. But then people always tell me, Dennis, but you're speculating. How did you, how do you know the entire project will be late if now we're off by one day? Won't we make that up along the way? I'm like, no, because we planned the project to be really tight. And if we're off by one hour, then we're off by one hour. Hmm. At the end of the project will be even more because the further away it is, the, the more wrong we are. Yeah, so it people would, don't get you would assume step. that you, even if you lose a day this week, you will, you know, you will, um, you will be faster by two days next yeah. week. No, no, you won't. You are not the reality, <laughs> because, because the reality you not faster is, than you thought. Exactly, because the reality is yeah. that you were wrong, not just about the guesses you made speculatively about this week. Yeah. This means that you are at least this much wrong about every guess that you made for the next three months. Mm -hmm. Which means that not only are you off by one day now, but everything that hasn't happened yet will also be off by one day every week. And it's going to get worse. <laughs> so, so uh, okay, so ba basic time. Today. We're yes. having uh, some more minutes, Dennis, and uh, you yes. have a heart. Um, in 10 minutes, yeah. A heart thing. In a, in a, I have a heart to stop because I have the book club yeah. about accelerate right now. Okay, so. Uh, what can we um to wrap up so i think uh, we've uh, we've discussed everything yeah or everything on the agenda and i think most things which are interesting to have a, a form of a deep dive into what is devops for small business is actually not so much different to to other forms of businesses or mm -hmm. sizes um what can we give us some kind of reading resources what would you suggest so we we mentioned uh, the DevOps handbook. We mentioned Accelerate, mm -hmm. the Dora stuff. What, what, I think what that's else? enough. Yeah, I think Accelerate is sort of like a Bible for net. So if you read, you know, my ask would be don't just read Accelerate. Apply it. Mm -hmm. Find something that hits a nerve for you and apply it in your business. Don't read it like a lexicon. Like read it like you would a, a you know you, you're you're sick and you need a pill and you need this fixed right now like you need an actionable uh uh you need an actionable step um, use it like you would a manual for a framework that you're using and you're trying to implement something mm -hmm. like, read it like that that's also my recommendation for the book club like read have an intention and then read the book and then find something that you need from the book and apply mm -hmm. it and then iterate on that and then read the book again, but skip the chapter that you got the really important stuff for the previous step and now work on the next step. So be iterative on this. Uh, be very, if you're, if, if part of your weekly, you know, I would say rather than reading books, block time in your calendar to think about your process. Like spend at mm -hmm. least an hour every week thinking about your process, maybe your personal process, your process at work, because that is where the learning happens. Okay. I can Maybe. recommend something. Um, so I have basically all my books as audiobooks as well. Mm -hmm. And when you listen to them as audio um, as audiobooks while you're doing something different, driving, walking, something, um, then you actually think differently. You 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 intake the, the intake of the information is different. You and, force the filter uh, out more so you remember your yeah, it is more like a conversation you have. Yeah, you hear yeah. your inner voice, uh, you know, responding to what you hear. You start to mm -hmm. comparing it to your current thing. And this is how I think about 
our, let's say, pipeline structures and all this kind of stuff. And then I think, oh, maybe I much sometimes I stop and I note something for myself. Yeah. Um, some things I want to change, iterate or a new idea. So this is how I uh, actually work with those books. I listen to them more than I actually read them. Mm -hmm. you know? So there well, are more actually, decorations here. Yeah, I mean, I mean look, it, yeah. it, it's very simple. Uh, I come from a technology and life coaching background. So my advice would definitely be do not accumulate knowledge. Do not accumulate technical theoretical knowledge. Focus on your business. What does the process in your business look like? If you read Accelerate, what one thing, not in the, in the entire book, and then let's change everything. Let's do transformation. One thing. Take one thing and apply it and try to apply it in a week. Your year is just a series of weeks. It starts with tomorrow. It starts with week one. Pick something to improve and make an improvement. Measure the improvement. Ask your team, survey your team. You don't need to measure anything. Just ask your team, what sucks? What sucks about working here? What sucks about working this way? What sucks about our pipeline? Because they know. And if they had, if they had the permission to do anything they wanted to deal with the thing that sucks not only had the permission but if they were encouraged to attack vigorously anything in the pipeline that makes people feel that they're miserable you would have a much better process and a much better engineering culture and much better holistic devops empower them to do that you know just you don't need you the leader don't need to be involved yeah. with tactically implementing stuff just inspire your team to do so give them the space cultivate the space for them to improve the process a testing pipeline that is annoying improve it a code review process that is always slow remove it try an alternative pair program more ensemble more do tdd do tbd trunk based development skip your merge merge you know if you need two reviews for a merge get it down to one get it down to zero and auto merge it or at least get it down to one and auto merge when it comes to one don't have these like weird artificial handoff scenarios. And if you want a practical advice for homework, go over your process, go over what you did this week and figure out every time you handed off somebody, handed off something to somebody and reassigned a ticket to them. Mm -hmm. Just just write down how many times you did that and try to remove, try to figure out how to remove all those processes because those are the processes that prevent you from applying real end-to-end -end DevOps. There should be no handoffs. You should be with a ticket from start to finish. I will create a clip it out of your end speech. Um, <laughs> and um, no, uh, and, and maybe one last thing. It's always good to have uh, someone to talk with that about. You know, yeah. um, when you can reflect with someone together, maybe a buddy, a colleague, a mentor, yeah. whoever, um, this will give you another perspective because you are challenged in that moment. And then you think in a different way than just thinking passive. Don't think passively about changes. If you want to change something, you need to start to think actively yeah. about changing things and not, uh, you know, otherwise it would be, uh, you know, you would only see resistance everywhere. You don't need to change it. Ah, it's actually running and stuff. No, no, you, you need to say yourself, no, it's not running. I want to change something. I want to become yeah. better. I want to become better every day. And this is where you should go to. And then once you have, you know, cultivated such a mind mindset and live this way of work as a tech leader, as a developer, doesn't matter. Um, mm -hmm. Then you see progress and progress, you know, is the foundation of happiness. Oh. 
let's just mention that in every show in the end. This is very <laughs> important because yeah, progress is the why, why, it is because you know, even even our stream is a progress which shall improve ourselves. So but I would, I would, I would we are learning that, here would, as well, you know. I would change it to saying progress is the foundation of well-being. That that you or, or fulfillment. Because sometimes sometimes I'm not happy when I'm super sore and tired, but I do feel fulfilled. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yes, 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 yes. Actually, yeah. true. Yeah. So it's an iteration now. Iterating. The next, the next step, the V two <laughs> of this phrase. Okay. <laughs> Streaming. Great. <laughs> Stream up. So, thanks Congrats. everyone for participating uh, and uh, great comments today. In yeah, the in I'll... the second half, Ryan was definitely dominating the chat. <laughs> the more you keep me busy, the happier I am on these streams. <laughs> yeah, so great. So we still have um, most of the people online. Uh, yeah. It's great, great to have. So we have next week, Wednesday, the next session with uh, Gregor. Gregor Oystershek, another Oystershek. fellow Slovenian. Yeah, right. another fellow Slovenian. Uh, and, will uh... be a CTO topic. We will be four people uh, in, the, in the stream. And uh, Thursday will be announced. It's a secret still. Right? Secret. It's secret. We can announce. We can announce if you want. Do we know the topic? I mean, we just we'll announce it. It's a secret. It's a secret. It's a secret. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we'll, we'll Even to it. us, it's a secret. <laughs> so thank you all. Thank you for yeah. spending this time with us. Thank you for sharing your evening with us and being here and asking all of your amazing questions. If you're watching the recording, thank you. Leave a like, subscribe anywhere, depending on which platform you're on. Mm -hmm. Um, and give us some feedback, you know, also on the logistics of how you're consuming this content. Um, we are doing recaps every week on our newsletters about these streams and announcements. So uh, those are the best ways to stay in touch with us. I will just run the banner. No, that's that's the banner. There we go. And yeah, take care. Thank you, everyone. And have a nice evening. Goodbye together. Bye. So four more seconds and we have two hours. There we go. <laughs> okay. And we're off. Back to some elevator music. Adrian, thank you. Have a good night. Thank you. Ciao. Bye-bye.